1: You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and enjoy.
0: Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. Um, You know, things are strange these Um, days. We have a new stay-at-home order, uh, but... For some reason the store is still open so we are open <laughs> 11 a.m to 7 p.m weekdays and 10 a.m to 8 p.m weekends uh, we ask you to wear a mask and social distance do all of that good stuff um, but we do want to encourage you during these this big COVID surge to utilize our curbside pickup uh, service which is available the same hours we do a pretty good contactless system Um, And we also are happy to ship books to you anywhere in the U.S. You can uh, shop on our website at skylightbooks.com. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce today's guests. I'm really excited. This is going to be a fun one. Hang on one sec. All right. So today uh, I'm really excited. We're going to get witchy. We're going to get magical. We're going to uh, cross through the veil uh, and discuss the state of witchcraft in America with Francis F. Denny and Lisa Lacasio. Uh, the book that they're discussing today is Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America. It's a collection of stunning portraits of self-professed witches from across the United States, paired with writing by each witch about her or their path to magic. Um, Frances F. Denny is an artist and photographer whose work investigates female identities. Her work is represented by Clamp Art in New York City, Frances's first monograph, Let Virtue Be Your Guide, was published in 2016 by Radius Books. Her second book, Major Arcana, is out in November. So it's already out. You can buy it now. You can buy it for Christmas. You can buy it for uh, Samhain, the pagan winter solstice holiday. She is the recipient of a New York Foundation for the Arts 2016 Fellowship in Photography and has won numerous awards, including PDN's 30, Lens Culture, Emerging Talent, Magenta Flash Forward, and Critical Mass. She received an MFA from Rhode Island School of Design. Frances lives in New York, where she balances her art practice and work as an editorial photographer. Her clients include The New York Times, The New Yorker, Elle, and Architectural Digest. Lisa Locascio is the author of Open Me, and the editor of the anthology Golden State 2017, Best New Writing from California. Her work has appeared in the New York Times Review of Books, Tin House, and N Plus One, among many other magazines. She is a core faculty member in the Antioch University MFA in creative writing program, and executive director of the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference. Frances and Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. This is gonna be really fun. Thank you so
2: much, Maddie. Thanks for having us, Maddie.
0: All right, so to get us started, um, the two of you are going to be reading some selections from the witch's own writings. Um, So I'm handing it over to you, and I'm ready to hear it. So just
2: for a little bit of context for your listeners, uh, the texts that Lisa and I are about to read are written by the subjects of Major Arcana themselves, and they appear next to their portraits in the book. Okay, so the first text I'm going to read is Leonora Tejas. Frankly, I think that if your witchcraft is not political, you are still asleep. We need to wake up from the idea that witchcraft is just an aesthetic, just a superstition, or just about consolidating magical power for personal gain. In a culture as racist and patriarchal and transphobic and homophobic and materialistic as ours is, if you don't see the way witchcraft is radical and revolutionary, you have some waking up to do.
3: This is Lisa and I'm going to read my own contribution to the book because I'm lucky to So this is what I had to say. When I was 11, I began identifying as a witch, a decision that got me into a lot of social trouble at school. My childhood best friend smelled blood in the water and used my new identity to organize a bullying campaign that still awes me in its scale. Entire groups of girls would rise and move away if I tried to sit with them at lunch or in the study hall. Parents asked that their daughters be moved out of my classes at school. The experience of ostracization writ large at school really confirmed me as a witch and it stayed with me through and into high school where my first boyfriend also thought of himself as a witch. I kept an altar up through ruining the flowered wallpaper room with my candle smoke. After I went to college, my witchiness was pretty dormant for many years. It was always part of how I saw myself, but I didn't think about or pursue witchcraft particularly actively until I was in my PhD in Los Angeles and in a young marriage that was in trouble. It felt like I was remembering a way of surviving in darkness.
2: This is Marie C. Mizan's text. I belong to a pagan community, Triple Spiral of Dunasid, where we do full and new moon rituals and follow the Celtic traditions of Samhain, Imbolc, and the Bridged Flame. It is a daily practice of connecting with the goddess through prayer, meditation, and ritual. I am also a priestess, Mambo, in the voodoo tradition of Haiti. I get more disparaging remarks about that than being a salt than being self-identified as a witch. A witch is any woman who is grounded in her power, able to manipulate or shift energy for her highest good, whether in the boardroom, the bedroom, or the kitchen. Any woman who uses the knowledge of the forces of nature to heal or consciously manifest is a witch. My daughter and I are women of color and voluptuous, voluptuous women active in our communities as healers, my daughter grew up in circles of women who practice all sorts of indigenous spirituality. Within these spiritual traditions, there are also what one may call witches. So it is not unique to just the pagans, but it is in that tradition we most connect with the divine feminine. This
3: is Judica Isles's reflection. As a child in school, I was mocked for my interests in the occult and witchcraft. I learned to become very secretive. Years later, while in an abusive marriage, whenever I gave the slightest indication of leave taking or standing up for myself, my then husband would threaten to tell the court I was a witch, telling me that because of this, I would lose our children. I took his threats seriously. Those experiences are specific to me, but there's also the greater threat for much of history, it's been dangerous to be identified as a witch, whether or not you actually are one. And that's still true in some parts of the world. I used to be a very introvert but now there are places I wouldn't go for fear of anti-laws. Witches are comparatively safe in the West, but that could always change.
1: This
2: is Deborah Jeffries. I have two full-time jobs. I am the High Priestess of the 501C3 Wiccan Church, which takes up most of my weekends and evenings. My paying job is as a surgical coordinator for the local organ procurement agency. For the past 17 years, I have helped facilitate the surgical recovery of human organs for transplant. I feel that although my patients are brain dead and have started to cross over the veil between our physical world and the spirit world, They are very much still here. And I speak to them silently to thank them for the immense gift of life they are giving. I believe in reincarnation and that our spirit is made of energy that does not die. It just transforms. I feel and treat my donors with great respect and love until they, the body, are out of my care. But I know their spirit hears me.
3: These are the words of Stacy Ivory. We can talk about cultural appropriation forever, but people have been trading and sharing their tools, medicines, ceremonies, and celebrations since the beginning of time. We still do this today, but the key is having reverence and acknowledgement. For me, one of the most hurtful things in the witchcraft community are terms like white witch, black magic. These carry strong racial connotations behind them. White meaning good, healing, pure, and often used to describe European, folk, while Voodoo is always referred to as black, especially in movies and television. Practiced in communities of people of color, bad hexes, curses, and sacrifices. In reality, we need balance and duality. Shadow is just as, if not more, important than love and light practices. As popular, especially with some of today's witches who want a pretty. Curated experience.
2: So I think those are the texts that we wanted to share with everybody. Um, and uh, I encourage everybody to to buy a copy of Major Arcana so they can read the rest. And and I also wanted to say thank you to Lisa for being one of the very first people I photographed for Major Arcana and Lisa is such an incredible writer, and um, I love. And you can read in full what she wrote if you see the book in person. But um, Lisa and I have had a long history of collaboration. Actually, she wrote the foreword to my first book, Let Virtue Be Your Guide, and she really was, I think, the first person that I got in touch with when I realized this project um, that I wanted to do. When I when I sort of first had this need of the idea.
0: Thank you guys so much for those readings. Um, it, it's beautiful to hear the wide range of people who consider themselves witches and hear in their own words what that means to them. Um, Francis, I'm curious, where did this project begin?
2: Where did it come from? Sure. Um, so for a, for a long time, my work has focused on looking at the formation of female identity. So I look at that through various lenses, whether they're kind of familial or historical or sociocultural. And um, my first book that I mentioned, Let Let Virtue Be Your Guy, looked at it through uh, my family. Uh, And I explored my family ancestry and in doing so discovered that my 10th great grandfather was one of the central judges in the Salem witch trials and coincidentally that my eighth great grandmother was uh an accused witch in uh Northampton Massachusetts about 20 years prior to the Salem witch trials so my, those two ancestors would not have known about each other but all the same that coincidence struck me as a juicy one one that i couldn't quite um reconcile for myself and so several years later I was reminded of it when I was reading um, the historical biographer Stacey Schiff's book about the Salem witch trials which is an incredibly evocative account of what happened in 1692 and I highly recommend it but in any case I had was reading it and realized that one of the central people she was talking about was my great 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 grandfather and um, so I began thinking about the witch as this sort of proto-feminist archetype and I'm particularly interested in her because she is so murky and mysterious and has a lot of sort of fear and um, uh, kind of shrouding or fear of her sort of shrouds an understanding of her but I think that there's some power in that fear so in any case I wanted to sort of dive into what the witch means to us as a culture and also who she is now. And I, I should say, I also, um, I refer to the witch as her and female so much of the time. And I do recognize that um, there are many male witches and, you know, gender non-conforming witches and trans witches. And um, I, I, for sort of simplicity's sake, I, I, I refer to her in the female because of the sort of undisputable historical connection that she has with, with womanhood. So, um, so yeah, that was my jumping off point. And, and And then I, decided I was going to try and um, figure out who are the people nowadays that call themselves witches and what does that mean and what does a practice of witchcraft entail?
0: Can you talk about how you got involved with this project and also maybe a little bit about your own journey to becoming a witch? Sure, yeah. Um, I remember when Francis told
3: me about Major Arcana and um, it was, I mean, Let Virtue Be Your Guide was published in 2017, is that right? 2016.
1: 2016,
3: 2016, yeah. And um, we had had a really beautiful collaborative experience working on the writing that I did for the book together. And it was unlike anything I had ever experienced before or since. in which we just spent a lot of time feeling our way through what the content of this decidedly kind of um, hybrid and unusual piece of writing that would accompany the book would be. Um, often, like I really love photography and I own a lot of monographs and often there's a fairly straightforward introduction that lays out some some context for the photographs in an art criticism context. Um, and Francis wanted something different and, um, The whole experience of working on it together, I felt really supported as an artist and it also felt really faded because Francis and I went to college together and maybe exchanged like 20 words in the time we were in college together. Like we were not not people who knew each other well. I remember always being very like aware of her, which is interesting because obviously it was fate. But I was very moved to be asked to work on this project that really resonated with me, um, both because of my own interest in self-writing and personal history and genealogy. And um, it was a very singular experience. So when she told me that she had this idea for this project of portraits of witches, I was so excited. And um, I think I actually found out about the project after you had taken a portrait of me when you were visiting LA in 2016. Um, So I didn't, I, and, and we had had this experience where, um, you had also photographed some of my tarot cards and I felt, I felt connected to the project, but for a long time, I didn't actually know that I was included. So it was like the most exciting thing for me Um, because my, my own history as a witch, I mean, in some ways, you know, there's a temptation to say something like, I was doing it before it was cool, because as I, you know, read my own little piece of writing earlier, it was this thing that kind of came to me semi-spontaneously as a, as a child, really, as like a pre-adolescent child, um, which is not that unique of an experience, but in the mid-90s, you know, I remember a lot of the reactions surrounding that period of ostracization was, like, adults would suggest repeatedly that I was too influenced by the craft, <laughs> and I, It was, it was really funny, because I mean, I like the craft, but um, there wasn't really much of a connection there for me. Um, And it was just, it was this part of my consciousness that didn't really have a space in my daily life, because I did experience a lot of, not hostility, but just kind of like gentle, you know, negativity about it you know where people were like oh sure like everyone wants to be a witch when they're a kid you know everyone wants to be a magician and i always thought well that's not exactly my experience of it but okay um and so when as i mentioned i was i was living in la and i really associate the year 2014 with the sort of resumption of daily practice in my life which had been part of my life until i went to college um I was in a bad place in my personal life, and I had tried to learn tarot many times before and just hadn't been able to make sense of it. And then I, I learned, I finally did learn the cards. I had this experience where my mom was visiting me and bought a deck of tarot cards on a whim and gave these really wild readings to two of my friends. And I knew things about them that she didn't, and they were just super aligned. And it was this quality that she had where she could kind of magically do that, even though she wasn't someone who had like a tarot practice, really. And after that I was able to learn the cards and then I kind of neurotically started just reading for myself all the time because my marriage was falling apart and I wanted to know what was going to happen so that's definitely like a crazy way to uh, strengthen your magical powers and it was very much in keeping with my life and the crazy way that I've strengthened myself as a writer Um, but to be included in this project felt really validating because I really haven't been one of these people whom I admire and I consume a lot of content from who have just kind of exploded onto the internet in the last five years, where there's just, there's so many astrologers and animists and folklorists and witches of different stripes dispensing wisdom. And so I feel like Francis really saw the crest of that wave and has offered a really critical document that can help us understand it.
2: Well, I think it's interesting that you, you call it a wave and it's it's so apt. And I think like it's sort of sister movement feminism, witchcraft has also come in waves. And I definitely think that there's one um, you know, cresting uh and has been cresting for several for several years now. So I think that um then that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, it it has been part of my intention to sort of capture that new sort of popularity and surge of, of interest in witchcraft. And and by witchcraft, I, I really, um, I use it as, it's almost a catch-all term for so many different things. You know, you've got, Wiccans. You have um, other neo pagans who might not necessarily capitalize their W like the Wiccans do for witch. You have green witches, hedge witches, sex witches, um, space witches, kitchen witches. You have people who think of witch as sort of a, a feminist moniker, and you know a sort of a sensible a sense of um activism around it, or or some who see it as sort of a self part of it, the self care movement. So there's so many different ways to embody that, and I wanted to capture as many of those as possible. And yes, I mean, when scouting people for the project so much of it was kind of a a vast sort of networking um, effort and some of it was over Instagram and at witchcraft festivals. And I think I wanted to reflect the young kind of wave and resurgence of interest in witchcraft, but also it was so important to me to show the, I kind of call them with, with great reverence, the, the old guard witches. So your Dianic witches and your witches who kind of came, came to power in the 60s and 70s and have been doing this for 50 years. Um, so for them, this is not trendy. And and in fact, some some of them, Um, many of them are kind of skeptical of the trendiness. And so there's an interesting uh, uh, tension in the community uh, about that sort of new trendiness and whether or not it represents a kind of commercialization of this sort of... Previously, sort of fringe countercultural practice, um, but on the other side of of the coin, there are those who argue that that mainstreaming, if you will, makes it safer for witches like Judica, whose text we read earlier, to practice openly, to be out of the the broom closet, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I think that that it, it is it's essential to represent those witches who have newly come into witchcraft and those who have been doing this and practicing this and insisting on its relevancy for decades.
3: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I mean, I don't think it's a pure dichotomy, but I think there is a tension to the extent that um, there's communication between these different populations of witches because, um, you know, thinking about the older witches, the pioneer 20th century witches, when i was 11 and was first like oh i'm a witch you know my dream was to be able to like take classes and what that meant in 1996 was um i found an ad i think in the back of rolling stone maybe or it might have been the witch's almanac which at that point i was already you know getting my mom to buy for me at the local bookstore but it was like a correspondence school in vermont that you could send away to and i wanted to do this so bad and my parents who were pretty game and who like let me do almost all things were just like you know we're not going to do this. And it's not because we think witchcraft is bad. It's just because this is a correspondence course for an adult in year 11. And I often think about that. I don't remember the name of the institution, but I wonder who those people were. And I, you know, having lived particularly in rural Northern California, I have a sense of who a lot of this older generation of witches were. And there was like, like, like a lot of 20th century social movements, right? I mean, I think a lot about lesbian separatist communes too. Right. And so just like this incredible, often feminist, um, you know, sort of back to the land idea of, you know, there's literally reclaiming witchcraft, but also just like reclaiming ancestral traditions, um, which of course also had a lot of its own problems around white supremacy and um, transphobia transphobia and, and, and reclaiming witchcraft was a direct reaction to an earlier tradition of American witchcraft, which was actually a lot of people would say extremely misogynistic and extremely man-centered and comes out of, like, you know, Alistair Crowley's OTO. I once had a graduate student who had been a really active member of an OTO chapter in LA in the 80s, and she had been in it for, like, 15 years, and she said she eventually left because she was so tired of seeing 18-year-old girls becoming priestesses because they were sort of being manipulated into relationships with the head priest. So there's always this revolution of turning over, but I do think something different has happened because of the internet and because suddenly my dream as a child of being able to take a class in a witchy subject is now an overwhelming amount of content and services that are available and a lot of that is self-representation i mean one of the reasons why i don't feel that i'm more out there as a witch is because i'm out there a lot as a writer and that feels like an important thing to maintain for my career which is also most of how i derive my income and, and a teacher and so what was it like, I mean, the experience of photographing these, I know there's more than two types of witches, but like if we just separate them into those two categories, the witches who, I mean, being a publicly known witch in the 60s or 70s was just going to be different than in the present day versus some of the subjects in your book are quite young and have maybe never known a world that didn't include that opportunity for self-expression.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's such an interesting question because you know those if we are like you said gonna sort of boil it down to those two groups, um, which is definitely an oversimplification as we know, uh, but it, a valuable one. Like it, it, they are quite different, and I think that one thing I notice so much. I mean, as a photographer, the younger generation is so much more kind of camera ready, you know, and so um, I really like I really enjoy people photographing people who are not camera ready i i find it to be part of my work as an artist to you know uncover something vulnerable and interesting about somebody that um when i'm photographing them and that's sort of often easier to do with people who don't spend a lot of time looking at themselves through their camera phone do you know what i mean so um so i think that it can it it can often be um my, my challenge, I suppose, as a photographer with the younger generation can often be sort of trying to dismantle some of the ways that they, we, I should say, we, I include myself in this, um, that we uh, perform for the camera, that we um, hold our bodies and, our, and arrange our faces and how we have a sense of like how we want to present ourselves. And I think that, you know, my job is to sort of, uncover something a little bit more vulnerable and interesting and revealing about a person. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's where where you are going with your question, but that that's what it really makes me think of, it just brings me back to the actual act of photographing a young person now versus somebody who's um, a, a little bit older. Absolutely, no, that's, that's really fascinating to think about um,
3: because I think both because of the changes in media, but also the changes in witchcraft, I think one of the shifts has been the emphasis on self-representation. I mean, I don't wanna suggest that every young, very online witch is just presenting a series of beautifully curated selfies because it's not that. But I also think it's fair to say I don't know someone who has a successful social media presence that doesn't include some extremely curated images of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I actually very much enjoy consuming that content, but it is something that was really different than whoever was running that correspondence school in Vermont in 1996, right? Um, Who knows if I would have ever known what those people looked like. And so, yeah, so thinking about this extra layer, I mean,
2: you worked on the project for two or three years. Is that an? Photographing one? for two or three, and and then everything else for more like four or five. Yeah.
3: So, did you feel like in that time span that the? the landscape or the population you were photographing like changed in ways that because you were focused on it for so long, you were able to sort of track?
2: 100% yes. And I can um, sort of point to the exact day that it changed, which would have been November 3rd, 2016. Um, Before and after Trump was elected, there was a real difference in how, um, in let's say the response that people, uh gave me when I when I would uh, reach out to photograph them for in within the context of this project there was so much more um fear about being out as a witch after Trump was election, elected so I, I really and of course the me too movement also felt um felt like it it kind of charged people so i think that yes there there absolutely i did notice a shift and a kind of a, more of an urgency even um, in 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 talking about witchcraft and in coming out as a witch. I have people who uh, are coming out as witches for the first time in the context of my project, which I feel a huge responsibility for, um, in, you know, in representing them. So, so, yes, and then I think, you know, and, and I have a question for you, Lisa, related to this. Um, you know, I've been thinking so much about, obviously, this book coming out, uh, during the COVID nineteen pandemic, and and what it could possibly be offering people right now. You know, the book was supposed to come out earlier, not during a pandemic, and here we are. Uh, and so I've sort of wrestled with like, what what can it give people? And I have my own answer, but I have my. I guess I want to turn it back to you, Lisa, and ask you as a witch, what has your practice of witchcraft offered you this year that perhaps has been um, more or less important than before? That's a great question.
3: Well, while you were talking, I remembered something that I find kind of embarrassing. um, But I'll just go ahead and cop to it on the air, which is on November third, 2016, I don't know if anyone listening to this will remember, but there was this thing, and I probably came off Facebook, um, where it was like, hey, ladies, put on your pantsuit and go get photographed for free. And there was this huge network of participating photographers. and Because we all thought Hillary was going to win the election and it was like, let's take this celebratory image. I mean, the rhetoric of that time sounds so inescapably quaint now pantsuit nation itself to me is now kind of like the dog whistle for a sort of horrible type of inclusivity i mean not inclusive but like you know kind of like rah-rah white feminism and then also like remember when binders full of women seemed like the worst thing that anyone had ever said it's just really funny <laughs> oh to remember God. these things but i had just moved to connecticut to teach at wesleyan university and i did have a pantsuit and i was i mean i remember the day of the election, my beloved mom, like, put something on Facebook or something that said, like, the sound of glass ceilings breaking all over America. Like, we really thought, and and Hillary is an extremely flawed figure, but it was, it wasn't really about her. It was about the idea that we were going to have this female president. And so I remember going on election day and getting photographed and carrying a group. And so I have these images, which I'm sure I put on Instagram, which almost immediately became like horrible to look at. Um, and it's it's just really interesting to remember that moment before everything changed, when there was so much excitement and celebration about this that all of these photographers were offering these like free photo sessions. I mean, it was kind of a wild thing. And, um, you know, I think what's happened for me with my witchcraft, is something i couldn't have anticipated as a child which is that it has been a huge ally in terms of grief and suffering and um you know when i was a kid it was like okay i i probably understand that i'm not literally going to be able to fly so like what does magic mean and i feel like that was the question that kind of pulled me forward and i have come around to really I really like Starhawk's definition, um, what is it? Changing consciousness in real time. It's the art of changing consciousness at will. Yes, yeah, and I think that that is, it took me a long time to even understand what that meant, but it, it feels to me like what we understand magic to be has grown together with other um, modalities like therapy, for example, right? I mean, what is therapy? When it's effective, if not that, and then also teaching, and so like a lot of my life, and this is such a great conversation because I've never made this connection before. But a lot of a lot of witchcraft coming back to me was also about coming into my power as a teacher, Um, especially before uh, I ended my PhD. I just had all these weird, crazy teaching positions that were wonderful because I was so underpaid and undervalued that I was kind of allowed to do a lot of what I wanted and it just became like feminist liberation magic and that was a way that it was also possible for me to turn something that a lot of people in my position dislike into a creative act and um so you know the the big event for me this year beyond the pandemic is that my mom with whom i was really close and who was definitely you know my witch teacher and my initiator died in early february and um she was an incredibly powerful part of my life, and her death was traumatic and happened after a period of worsening health that had a lot of mystery in it. And it was really, it, I mean, it, I think the death of any parent is profound, but for me, my worst fear of my whole life was my mom dying. So after she died, there was this, surre- this surreal realization that I had lived through my worst fear and that you know in some ways it thrust me back into mysticism because art which is obviously still my passion and my profession was not necessarily going to offer the answer at least not quickly right like i mean i i've written about it and i will continue to but um you know i've often been interested in my life in um, ecstatic sex, like S-E-C-T-S, but also S-E-X, sure. Um, But like the Shakers, (laughs) right? Or, um, you know, um, Sufism, where there's this kind of pursuit of losing oneself into ecstasy. And then also, I've always been really interested in the spiritualists and their place in American history. And... So this year i I felt like I did step out in a way and I pursued a lot more training um, in clairvoyance and psychic practice and in mediumship and you know that those things still for me can be fundamentally private, I guess unless or until I start trying to provide those services to other people, but I was surprised how much hesitation I still felt around not necessarily taking those classes or doing that training, but telling other people about it, because I feel like even in metaphysically inclined California, there's a sense that we're also to accept that the world is fundamentally kind of like a sick joke and like God is a big question mark. And I think I've always connected to witchcraft in this year more than ever, because it seems like a way of saying, actually, there's something else here. I don't have to have the answers but I can experience it and be in communion with it. And that has felt to me more and more fundamentally connected to an artistic practice that can continue to grow and change and sustain me.
2: It's so interesting. I mean, in my, my impression of, you know, if I were to try and distill sort of as an outsider, what, um, what witchcraft is, it seems like it's that. It's a, it's a tuning into oneself. It's a cultivation of a kind of internal power and whether that power is used internal internally for solace or, or healing or dealing with grief um, or kind of pushed towards the external in maybe a healing modality. Uh, it does seem like it is about this cultivation of consciousness or power or energy. And it does seem like this year of all years uh, is is the year to cultivate that. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, that it has helped you a lot this year.
3: I think one thing 2020 has shown us is that another world is possible. And, um, my novel that I've been working on for a long time and struggling to work on amidst all the upheaval is Utopian in nature, and I wanted to write it, a utopia because I feel like we are overwhelmed by dystopia both in literature and in in our lives and um you know I think when we if you are sensitive to synchronicities and i would i'm not saying any sort of hellish spiritual bypassing thing about how for me, the pandemic has just been an opportunity to imagine another world because that's not what it is it has been a terribly mismanaged and horrifically deadly mass event that we will be processing the trauma of for many, many years, although it's definitely not over and we can't even get to the processing point yet. So just just to be clear about that. That being said, this year has felt so long, it's easy to forget all of these moments that felt really surprising, like when air pollution just plummeted everywhere in March and April because of the lockdowns. And there were all those news stories about animals in national parks coming out and just kind of like partying because people weren't there bothering them and scaring them anymore. And the cruelty of the American debacle of the pandemic has just shown we don't have to live under capitalism. Capitalism doesn't serve the majority of us. In fact, it makes it impossible for the aims of capitalism to even be achieved. And our economy is premised on selling things that people don't need to people who can't afford them. And I mean, these are all kind of like, I know like Marxism 101 undergrad insights, but it is, it is rare to see them played out because the mirage of prosperity and of progress has kept us sort of seeing those things out of the corner of our eye for a long time. And so I feel like watching how the pandemic has unfolded, has only re-entrenched my commitment to witchcraft and to calling myself a witch. And I think that's why I think it's hopeful and not annoying or trendy that so many people are finding this identity. Because it is another way of being, and it is a rejection. Whether or not you are, you are completely awoken in your political consciousness, it is a rejection of the status quo. And I hope that we can continue to see progressive voices and by talk voices and queer voices be centered in that conversation? Because I think it is also like a gateway drug for a lot of people into understanding concepts like white supremacy and how all white people are complicit in it.
2: Absolutely. Um, It was was really fascinating for me to, once I got the sort of lay of the land of the landscape of witchcraft, to, to realize that it too suffers from so much of the same political kind of you know infighting and fractiousness that that so many other movements do, um, and and so many people in my book wrote about uh, aspects of that that I think you know is so important to talk about when talking about witchcraft because otherwise it's a kind of sanitization of the conversation and or a whitewashing of it. Um, it's not all love and light, you know. There is there are some. Um, I don't even want to use the sort of binary coded uh word like dark darker shadowier aspects but um but in that sense of like there are some there is some um some uh, some bad too you know well something i would say about that is you know so i am someone
3: who i mean surprise surprise like has paid many times in her life for things that some people would consider to be um you know questionable uses of money, like psychic readings and experiences with mediums, to say nothing of the amount of classes I've taken on metaphysical and witchcraft related topics. And I think I feel defensive about that because there's a stereotype of a type of person and it's a misogynistic stereotype because it's always a woman who is just, you know, easily taken in by hucksterism. And, you know, instead of dealing with their own issues would just rather sort of be told what they want to hear by an adept charlatan and as i've been studying mediumship i i i watch these youtube videos of mediums and i'm amazed by the comments like people under these youtube videos are like this person should be in jail and i guess i just don't feel the fire like i just i i don't i mean i know there are horrible stories and if you're interested dear listener look up at some of these new york times stories about like a couple of like really shady so-called Psychics and mediums who've taken people for you know two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars or more, but for for me the only time I've ever felt scammed, and I don't feel scam. I mean I'm not even sure scammed is the right word. But the only time I've ever paid for you know some kind of metaphysical thing and then been like eh, is when the person was relentlessly positive. Like and I I can really only think of two experiences, and I'm not saying that I'm getting money's worth if you tell me that my life is hell. It's just the only times that, and both times it was kind of like a card reading, and it was kind of like, everything's going great, look at this, everything's going to be good, and I was like, well, that just doesn't even sound like life, you know, like that, and, and I don't think those people were even trying to defraud me, I mean, I, 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 having never done this for a living, I know that I am very insulated from the reality of the needs and the desires that people bring to you as clients when you are in any kind of witch practice for money. Um, all of which is to say, I often, like, I read a lot and I think a lot about the concept of shadow work, and I'm often like, Do I do shadow work? And then it's like, Yes, of course you do, because you spend all of your time, like, feeling bad about various things <laughs> and, like, worrying. And I mean, I also have joy in my life, I promise. Um, but I think having a term like shadow work to define and dignify a reality that's not just about anesthetizing yourself and that's not just about empty platitudes like the love and light thing or you know sending thoughts and prayers right that gets rolled out by people every time there's a mass shooting and then they go back to making guns available to everyone um i think pushing back against that and and respecting the duality is, is really, it's a rebalancing that our society needs. And I think it's one of the things that we're most vulnerable to is the positivity cult.
2: So you brought up tarot, which I think is, is such an interesting and sort of misunderstood thing that you do know a lot lot about. Um, And what I sort of came to realize about it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, tarot is not a, a way of, it's telling the future. It's yeah. a, a tool for trying to read into your own light, life and not really divine it, but to, it's a tool for um, thinking about it, right? And it's sort yeah, of yeah. elemental. So, so can, you, can you talk a little bit more about like what what Tarot means to you and what, what you use it for?
3: Absolutely, so um, the metaphor that I use is that it's like turning on a flashlight in a dark room or maybe sometimes if if it goes particularly well just turning on the overhead light um it shows you more it helps you feel out the various tensions and stories and forces that surround a given situation um this is not my original thought i think it was like a snappy tweet but there's this thing where it's like you know you think you're gonna find out the future and then you end up just kind of getting like you know sassed by some cards and that is what often happens with tarot like especially you know my my origin story as a tarot reader where i was compulsively doing these massive readings for myself like you know honestly probably as much as 10 times a day it's it's kind of sad to remember just how neurotic i was with it and i would i wanted them to tell me something different i wanted them to tell me that like i didn't have to get out of my like very painful relationship that we could like fix it magically in some way And the cards would never do that, you know, they would always be like, I'd be like, but what if we look at it like this? And they'd be like, still bad. I mean, and it's not bad or good, but it's, um, I think tarot is a really powerful critical thinking tool because you develop a relationship with the symbols and the images on the cards. And one of the reasons why it's been really important for me to read for other people is because you don't want to get too bound into your own stories about the cards. That's also why I use a lot of different decks, but, um, it's a way of revealing all of the things that surround a given situation. And to the extent that there is a predictive quality of tarot, it exists in your sense of the elemental forces and the intuitive recognitions that, arise in a reading and so i mean tarot is another thing that i would say is, is basically anti-capitalist because it requires this strict sort of intimacy and if intimacy is often painful and doesn't doesn't offer escapism but it's also really rewarding and it's, it's a, you can't be a good tarot reader if you don't have clarity in your relationship with yourself.
2: Well, I think that's, that's so well put. It's really about developing an intuition and ability to yeah. read. And I think that that's sort of why I stole my title of this book from, from the, the main sort of, for lack of a better word, trump cards in the tarot or tarot yeah. deck, the, the major arcana. Um, it, I think that, that tarot, tarot is like a real gateway for many young witches also into this world of witchcraft. And so, and as it in some ways was for me, a way of trying to understand at its most basic level, like some form of witchcraft that is so widely available. And so um, sort of misunderstood in some ways, but like maybe in in an okay way, you know? Um, Yeah, so I think that that's, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that that's such a, Good interpretation of what it is.
3: My teacher, Mary Greasy, who I'll give a little shout, shout out, and I'm probably going to bungle her term, but she calls Tarot the the protected bridge or the the safety bridge because it is the means by which so many people begin to apprehend their metaphysical skills. and to to go from that to something like being a clairvoyant or a medium is a departure from the prop that can help so much. Um, but you know, Francis, I think your book is also a sacred object in that way, because I think so many people are going to look at these images and see things that surprise them and challenge them and excite them. And it's exactly the kind of book that I wish that I'd had when
2: I was a little girl. That means a lot to hear. I I mean, I hope so much that it is uh, a portal into this world and an inspiration to people Um, who are coming to it. And I think that people who are already in it will recognize so much and so many faces that are there. So um, I am excited that it's finally out in the world. And I hope that uh, I hope that people pick up a copy. Definitely. Everyone should pick up a copy. (laughs) Or two or three. I mean, the the, the
3: saddest thing for me about it coming out during the pandemic, um, and this is actually my husband Jasper said this, but he was like, this is just a book that you want to walk in and into a store and flip through. And so take take our word for it. You will not be disappointed by this beautiful book. You can also go into Skylight and flip through it. Yeah. It's still good. open as of today.
2: <laughs> oh, if I were in LA, I would waltz right into Skylight and go go get myself another copy.
0: <laughs> Thank you guys. Oh my gosh. I there's so much in this conversation that I wanted to like jump in and say something about because I think um you know since i've moved to la i've uh this is maddie speaking i've um become really interested in in kind of witchcraft and specifically in tarot my sister uh is a tarot reader and um we've had a lot of conversations about kind of like trying to tease out the distinction between um you know seeking intuition and also being led by your presupposed notions and kind of expectations placed on you by the society and the uh, financial structures that we live in um, so I think this book is exactly the kind of thing that that I and my sister at you know budding young witches are definitely looking for um, and I, I would I'm throwing my own recommendation and t- um, for everybody listening to to check this out because I think we are in this critical sort of inflection point in our culture right now where we're looking for alternate structures um, and, and forms of solidarity, and you know, witchcraft is one of the oldest ones, um, and it has endured for a reason. And um, you know, I think it's really inspiring to hear the stories of of witches who are working today and and what they can teach us. So, um, Francis, thank you for collecting those stories, and Lisa, thank you for sharing yours.
2: Thank you for for having us, Maddie, and thank you to Lisa for being one of my very favorite collaborators.
3: Oh well. Francis is one of my very favorite collaborators. And I also just want to say as one last note about the book, and I think what you said really reflected this, Maddie, there's a lot of great books out there that teach specific style or a specific technique or a specific act like tarot um, or aura reading. I really liked Eliza Swan's book about aura reading. But what's great about Major Arcana is that it seems to me like witchcraft itself and that it offers you a lot and you can take what works for you. And leave the rest. And I think that's something that the history that you made reference to is really is really relevant here. You know, we can learn from our history. We can we can prevent the way that this kind of sacred knowledge was weaponized against people who were making a positive impact. And um, that's something that gives me a lot of hope. So thank
0: you guys so much for this great conversation. Thank you. Well, before we go, um, do either of you have any uh, anything else you want to share with our listeners? Any project, other projects you might want to plug, or um, places you might want to send them?
2: Hmm, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for you. No, that's okay. Um,
0: Just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. <laughs> Let's see.
2: I
3: I'm gonna finish my book soon hopefully um but i guess i would say if i can plug um the institutions that i'm part of if you're looking for a great low residency mfa program the antioch university los angeles mfa is a truly progressive committed to anti-racism pedagogy mfa program and i'm i've been very impressed in the in the year that i've been there and we're just going to keep creating a better way of teaching and learning writing. Um, And if you'd like something a little lower key, the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference will be online again in 2021, which makes it uniquely accessible because Mendocino is beautiful but hard to get to. So um,
2: you can check those both out. I'd love to meet you there. All right. I actually I I do have one thing to share, which is that Major Arcana will be um at the Southeast Museum of Photography. It's my first museum show, and that's at Daytona State University in Florida, and it opens in January and will run through April. So uh I will be, you know, posting updates about that on my Instagram and you can follow along at Francis F. Denny.
0: Very cool. Congratulations, Francis. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, you guys. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, Thank you both again for joining us and sharing your work with our listeners. Um, Listeners, thank you for listening. I appreciate it, always. The book is Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America by Frances F. Denny, and she was in conversation with Lisa Locascio. All right, guys, we'll catch you on the flip side, and take care out there in the wide world. Bye-bye.